There are moments when it feels like time stands still. But when those moments turn into days, months, years, we start to wonder if life will ever begin again. It is written that there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. Now is the time. Well, hi everyone, I am so glad that you're here. And yes, this is a little different than what we normally do. The reason I'm on the screen is because I have not figured out how to be two places at one time quite yet. If you do know how to be in two places at one time, I would love to hear how you pull that off. Well, this weekend I'm gonna be splitting this message with Pastor Julie Burleson. Julie is gonna be joining us live in about 15 minutes as we begin to share some insights about the final phrase that comes from the wisdom of Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter three. Our final focus, and maybe the most difficult, is there is a time for war and a time for peace. The topic of war is controversial and painful. I mean, opinion and conviction about war is all over the map, both literally and figuratively. According to the Global Citizen website, there are 27 wars happening in the world right this very second. The heartbreaking war in Ukraine is happening as we speak. The internal conflict in Myanmar is happening right in this present moment. War is a reality, and no matter where you find yourself on the spectrum between outright pacifism and full military engagement, we're all challenged to find the heart of God on this very painful reality. According to the Canadian Army Journal, war has dominated documented history. Since 3600 BC, the world has only known 292 years of peace. During this time period, there have been 14,531 wars. An estimated 3.6 billion lives have been lost in those wars, and the monetary value of those conflicts would pay for a golden belt around the world 97 miles wide and 33 feet deep. War takes a toll on every aspect of humanity. When World War I broke out, the War Ministry of London dispatched a coded message to a small British outpost in an inaccessible area of Africa. The message read this. It said, war has been declared. Arrest all enemy aliens in your district. The War Ministry received this reply. We've arrested four Germans, six Belgians, four Frenchmen, two Italians, three Austrians, and an American. Please advise immediately just exactly who we are at war with. And it might almost be funny if it wasn't so heartbreaking. As we walk into this today, let's contract some definitions based on the original words. War, according to the ancient word, is the waging of an armed conflict against an enemy. So I'm going to unpack that part of Solomon's wisdom, and then Pastor Julie is going to come and share with you about peace, which in the original language is defined as harmonious relations and freedom from disputes. It's also defined as an absence of war. Here's as simple as I can make it. War is a regrettable reality in a broken world. Many people read the Old Testament, and they're uncomfortable with the amount of war and bloodshed. It's there, but I think there's also a misconception attached 
to the amount of bloodshed that happens in the Old Testament. I need you to know this. God did not arbitrarily go around and just engage in war for no reason. Now, if you study the scriptures deeply, you're going to find that God used war for two purposes. And I put many scriptures in your outline so you can read this for yourself. But the two purposes were simple. To defend territory that had been set apart for sacred use and to eliminate evil. God doesn't love war or violence. But there are times when that is the cost of defending and protecting. So I need you to know, when you read your Old Testament and God takes out the Hittites, Amalekites, Jebusites, and all of the other sites that you find in Scripture, what you need to know is this. They were evil. I could unpack the history of the evil of the Amalekites alone and you would be absolutely horrified. None of these groups were innocent. They were evil and God held them accountable for that evil. I think it's important to quickly add this, to differentiate this truth. There is a difference between a God-ordered war that both protected and defended innocent people and a war done in the name of God by broken human beings who were bent on conquest and financial gain. They are worlds apart. I hope that makes sense to you. In the book of Isaiah, the Bible says that in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. That's the famous part of the verse. And we focus on the last part, but we miss an obvious question. Who was Uzziah? Well, let me answer. Second Chronicles gives us the example of King Uzziah. It actually comes from Second Chronicles chapter 26. And let me tell you how scripture describes him. First of all, it says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So simply, he was a very godly man. Then secondly, it says he sought God and God gave him success. So he pursued God and there was a reward because of his faithfulness. And then verse 6 says something that might surprise you. It says he went to war. So apparently you can be godly and a warrior. Verse 9 of 2 Chronicles 26 says that he built defensive towers and he fortified them. So Uzziah made sure his family and his countrymen could be protected. He did it with buildings and he also did it with a, a well-trained army that he built. You see, Uzziah was a godly man, but he made sure that there were willing people who came alongside of innocent people in order to protect the people that he loved. There are people like that in this room and watching right now. There are veterans in this room right now who trained and put their lives on the line in order to defend a country and to eliminate evil so that innocent people could enjoy freedom. And I want to say, even though it's not Veterans Day, that I and we are so unbelievably grateful for your sacrifice. The Bible also says that Uzziah accumulated weapons. So he accumulated weapons and he made machines that shot arrows and hurled large stones. So Uzziah took steps to be ready just in case he needed to engage in conflict. And I wish I had time to unpack the entire story, but this is the tragic end of Uzziah. Verse 16 of 2 Chronicles says, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. What's the lesson for all of us? I believe it's this. Piety, holiness. Piety is not passivity, and pride ruins everything. 
Let me say that in other words. Holiness is active, and it's willing to engage in conflict if necessary. But as soon as pride is the motivator, it all just goes terribly, terribly wrong. Please hear my heart on this. This is not a commentary on pacifism. There are godly people who would choose not to engage in this sort of military conflict for very biblical reasons, and we have to be willing to honor that decision as well. I want to remind you, Solomon wrote, there was a time for war and a time for peace. But the fact that he said that, there was a time for war, that statement alone points out a tension within Solomon's family. I want you to listen to David as he describes his passion about building a home for God on earth. It was known as the temple. Listen to this as we unpack the tension, and we'll get to the war part in just a second. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. David, you have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you've shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest. And I will give him rest from all of his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon. And I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He's the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son. I will be his father. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. I don't know if you could feel it or not, but there was some tension. There was some tension because the reality is David did what he was instructed to do. He went to war, but there was a price to be paid. I've spoken to so many veterans and their families, and they will all state, there is a high price to be paid for freedom. David paid a high price. Why? So that the generation coming after him could actually enjoy real peace. I believe we should honor those who did the same for us. I'm not asking anyone to sanction war. And we are free to disagree on the application of this wisdom, but we've got to do it from a perspective of knowing and understanding that God has a heart to both defend and protect. So you may not like this, but you are in a war right now. As followers of Jesus, you're in a spiritual battle every single day. As believers, we engage in this conflict every single day moment. Now, I need you to understand, I pray that you never get called into a physical war, but I need you to know you are in a spiritual war right this second. Listen as the word of God calls you into battle. 2 Corinthians 10 says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient. 
to Christ. The battle that we are engaging today in is real and it's winnable because Jesus has already won that victory. And then God tells us how to win. Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Every moment of every day, we can wear the full armor of God. And what did Paul just tell us? Stand firm. Put the truth of God around your waist. Cover up your heart and the core of who you are with God's perfection and God's righteousness. Put on the boots of sharing Jesus with everyone that you meet. Pick up the shield of faith. It will protect you from every fiery arrow of doubt that comes towards you. Protect your mind with the mercy and the grace of God and never, ever, 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 ever go into battle without the sword of the Spirit firmly implanted in your hand and in your heart. Those who faithfully follow Jesus, they both can and will win this war because Jesus was a warrior. There is a time for war. Thank God the sentence doesn't end there. And that there's also a time for peace. So I'm going to welcome Pastor Julie to come and to share from her heart about a time for peace. God bless you. Here's Pastor Julie. Well, hello, everyone. It's good to be with you this morning. It's even better that Grant covered the hard part. Very glad about that. Now that he has done that, let's take a look at that second part of the statement. There is a time for peace. Let's review the definition of peace that we heard at the beginning. It is harmonious relations and freedom from dispute. It is an absence of war. And we think about that last part of that definition, an absence of war, and then we hear those stats that Grant shared with us. It does not sound like the odds are in our favor of experiencing a year without war in our lifetime. We might hope for it, we might pray for it, but it is not likely that we will experience peace on a global scale right now. And without that, is there a time for peace at all? We can experience peace today. Just as war is constant, so too is peace. We just have to know where to find it, what it looks like, and who it comes from. 
So let's take a look at the Bible. Now, the most used word in the Old Testament for peace is the word shalom. That's the one that we've probably all heard. It has a number of meanings attached to it with what peace means. It means wholeness and health, security, well-being, and salvation. So shalom holds a lot of things in that term that means peace. And it also applied to a wide range of contexts throughout the Old Testament. It applied to the relationship between nations, which makes sense. So when there was no conflict between nations, they experienced shalom. It applied to the relationship between people, either groups of people or two people could experience shalom in a relationship. It also applied to the relationship between God and a person. That could be an experience of shalom. And finally, it also meant the individual state of a person. How you're feeling inside can be a shalom experience. All of those things can experience shalom because God is about wholeness and not brokenness and separation. When God made the world, he made things whole. He made all things, he made the earth and people, and when he did that, it was free from all forms of conflict. When sin entered the picture, all of that changed. Relationship between humans and God was broken by sin, and relationships between the humans on earth was broken as well, and nothing was whole or at peace anymore. We lack peace in these things when they are broken and torn in a type of contentious conflict or a battle or a war. But peace comes when those things are restored and returned to wholeness, the way that God intended them to be all along. So we can experience peace right now today because God is a God of peace. God is someone who makes the impossible possible. So when we think peace sounds absolutely impossible, God says, that is literally what I do best. And he gives us peace. God takes what is broken and he makes it whole. So if war is a reality of a broken world, peace is a return to wholeness. So it's a return to the way that God intended it to be all along. And where are two main ways that we can experience peace today? We can experience it in our relationships, both our relationships with each other and in our relationship with God. And we can also experience peace inside of ourselves. In the Old Testament, there's a verse that many of us have probably heard. It's really famous, um, and it is also one that is amazing because it talks about how Jesus was going to come. It prophesied and predicted that he was coming because at that time that it was written, the time was still to come when God would come to earth as Jesus. And this is what that verse says about who was coming. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah said that when Jesus would come, he would be called the Prince of Peace. Of all the things that are true of God, one of the most important, top of the list, things to pay attention to, is that he is the Prince of Peace. Peace is a part of who and what God is, whether he is God in heaven, God on earth, or God in Holy Spirit form. Peace is a core characteristic of his. And this, we see this throughout the Bible. The Bible says God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. 
And in the New Testament, it says that Jesus made peace through his blood. The thing that Jesus did by coming to earth as a human and dying for our sins and resurrecting, that saved us from our sin, and that sacrifice brought us peace. Because sin broke the relationship between us and God, and Jesus' sacrifice restored that and made it whole again. Throughout the Bible, we see over and over again that God is the source of peace. He's the provider of perfect peace. It's a gift that he gives us. It rights the wrongs that have been done and restores the world to the way that he created it. And we actually get to partner with God to participate in the restoration of what has been broken. We can be people who bring peace. The first part of that definition of peace, harmony, freedom from dispute, those are attributes of wholeness in relationships. I don't know if you remember the old days of social media where you would get a Facebook account and then you would poke someone or someone would poke you and that was supposed to be like a friendly hello or a game of sorts. And now it feels like everyone on social media is poking each other but it doesn't feel very friendly. <laughs> we're poking each other and we're pricking each other trying to draw blood. Social media and many of our other methods of communication have become mean-spirited and conflict-oriented places. When I log onto a social media platform, the first thing I experience is certainly not peace. It's not harmony and it is not freedom from dispute. On social media, we're short-tempered, we pick fights, we hold grudges, we judge and gossip and cut each other down with our remarks and name-calling, so much name-calling but those are not the marks of peacemaking. They're front and center in our social media pages and it's front and center offline too. It is easier for us today to be angry than it is to make peace with someone who's different than us. We make assumptions and we jump to conclusions. We think we know how someone else is feeling before they even say it. We don't trust people if we, know them very, if we don't know them very well, even if we might have met them at church. No, Christians have been fighting about everything pretty much since the beginning of time, so it's not shocking that this is happening, but it doesn't change the fact that that is not what we are called to do. Jesus asked us to be peacemakers. In what we read in Matthew 5 during one of his most famous teachings, he says the following. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So Jesus said we will be blessed for being people who make peace. And if we do that, we will be called children of God. That term indicates that we would have a family relationship, the closest of the close relationships with our Father. As people who actively make peace in the world, we then get to grow closer to God. Love, forgiveness, listening, having a conversation with a person in person instead of reading between the lines of a social media post. Looking someone in the eye and seeing that they were also made in the image of God, even if you don't believe or agree with everything they say or do, that is the way of peace. Just because we attempt to pursue peace does not mean that we will receive that in return. What, when God asks us to do something, he only asks us to do the thing that we have control over, which is only ourselves. In Romans, it says, as if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So we can't control how someone might respond if we make a bid for peace, but our calling is still to live at peace with everyone. 
not just the people we like and want to hang out with or believe the exact thing we do, but everyone. That's everyone. There's no out in that. And anything we do to break a relationship in a big or a small way is not peacemaking. If you have ever messed up in a relationship inadvertently and hurt someone and done something damaging and asked for forgiveness and actually received that forgiveness from someone, you have experienced the work of a peacemaker. When we are the recipients of peace, it feels amazing to have someone extend love and grace and kindness to us instead of choosing to further tear the relationship apart feels like a gift because it is. Right now, we can feel like the world is on fire and everyone is upset. And to extend peace to someone is giving someone something that they are longing for but may not experience anywhere else. The world was created by God to be whole and to be at peace. And every single bit of the world, every created thing in it, is longing to return to that state. The pain and the ache that we feel living in such a contentious time points us to the fact that God made us to live differently. True peacemaking can feel nearly impossible because it feels like a tiny little drop in a really big bucket, but it is more important than ever because its effects ripple out into the world. So how can we do it? How can we give peace away? We can do that because God has given us everything we need to bring peace. If we're followers of Jesus, we already have what we need to bring peace to others. Grant actually shared this verse earlier. He talked about the armor of God. And in verse 15 of that passage, it says, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. God's good news of peace is at the ready, and it helps us to fight our spiritual battles. The thing that the enemy loves is division. So when we keep peace at the ready and we don't give in to our reflex to pull away from someone else, when we use God's peace to reconcile and heal, we are fighting the powers of darkness and pushing toward restoration in the world the way that God intended it to be. Making peace does not always feel peaceful in the moment, but if the end result is restoration and a return to wholeness in a way that was missing before, that is peacemaking. And the God we pursue peace alongside actually grows our ability to be people who are defined by peace the way that he was. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And it goes on from there and lists other things that we grow in our relationship with God. But one of the top things that we see that is produced in us as we grow closer to Jesus is peace. It can be one thing to pursue peace in our relationships, and that sounds all really good. But if you are someone who is battling internally, if you are fighting anxiety, fear, hurt, or pain, you may not feel like you have peace to give because you're not feeling peace at all. And I want to promise you, God gives us the peace that we need. I know that it doesn't always feel that way, but our Prince of Peace gives us his perfect peace exactly how and when we need it. But like with anything with God, we have to open ourselves up to receiving it from him. In Philippians chapter 4, it says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. 
We may not understand it, but God's peace is ours and it guards our hearts and our minds. We can be those people who experience peace when it doesn't make sense because God makes that available to us through his power. If you have ever experienced a sense of calm in a time when everyone around you is upset or at a time when life circumstances would have pushed you somewhere else, it is God who gave you that ability. First Thessalonians says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. So God is gonna give us peace that we can't understand at all times and in every way. And in every way actually means in every way. We might receive his peace through prayer or another spiritual practice like silence or solitude. If we're experiencing clinical levels of anxiety, we may receive his peace through the help of a counselor who helps us to calm our inner storm. God works through other people all of the time. And the ways God can give peace are as infinite as he is and specifically created for each one of us in the way that he knows that we need. God knows the best way for us to experience and receive his shalom, and he does not hold back in giving it. As we are moving through this broken world and getting caught up in all that is going on, God can intercede and give us peace. Instead of turning toward hostility and anger to fight our battles, God's peace can guard us from being people who break relationships apart. And instead, we can receive his peace and then we can give that away to others. As we experience shalom and wholeness, we can give that to anyone else who needs it. And our whole world needs it right now. But if we don't stop and open our hands and our hearts and our minds to receive God's peace, we won't have it to give away. That's why in a moment, we're gonna give you a chance to experience peace before you even leave here today. If you're someone who is experiencing an internal world that is the opposite of peaceful, if you're wanting to give peace away, but you feel everything other than peace yourself, this next moment will be for you. And if you feel like you have the peace of God already guarding your heart and your mind, you're well acquainted with having your, your feet covered with his good news of peace, but you know it is time for you to give more peace away, this next song will give you a chance to rest in God's presence as he gives you more of what you need. Now is the time. Now is the time for peace. So the band is going to come back out, and they are going to play and sing a song of peace over you. We don't want you to stand and sing, but instead sit and receive from God in this moment. So do whatever you need to do both here and at home in order to receive from God. You can close your eyes, you can open your hands, you can breathe deeply his peace for you. You get to receive that peace as a gift from us this weekend. Wherever your storm is, whatever your battle is, wherever you need his peace, our prayer is that you will experience what only God can give right now. So as we get in a posture where we're ready to receive the peace of God, to close in prayer, I'm going to read a verse over you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power 
of the Holy Spirit. Amen.